Wednesday night Bible study. Uh, the Epistle to the Romans, part 12, will be in Romans chapter 14. Uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. Lord God, we uh, thank you for this evening bringing us together. We thank you for those that are here or on the way or couldn't make it, recuperating or traveling, Lord. Uh, you know the circumstances that you're with us and also those that are hearing by podcast, Lord. We thank you that your spirit is here to guide us into our study tonight uh, as we study chapter 14 of uh, the Epistle to the Romans. So, Father, we just thank you for this time, and we just give you praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Romans, you know, I, I said at the outset, it's, it's, it's kind of Christianity 101, because Paul's explaining Christianity to people that didn't have the Old Testament, didn't have uh, any any um, any of this stuff, any background. So he kind of explains everything to them. So what he's done up to now, he's explained Christ to them. He's gone into Old Testament theology, you know, uh, how the law was used. And then the last couple of weeks we've been talking about how now, you know, he talks about the uh, obligation of the believer. And this is where we're at. It's kind of relational now. The last few chapters are relational. In other words, he's saying, since I told you all of this, now this is how you use it uh, as a believer, as a Christian. Uh, this is how the church is to operate. And so tonight he's going to use a few uh, metaphors here uh, about faith. And uh, so let's probably go just line by line. So chapter 14, verse 1. It says, Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. Weak in faith. Now, weak in faith is, um, you know, we're not all at the same place, all at the same time. You know, some might come to faith last week, some have, you know, years ago, uh, some maybe, uh, you know, made a confession of Christ, but they never really went through discipleship or whatever, or there's different levels of faith. And so he says, except the one who's weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. So in other times, you know, have you ever cross, come across someone who's maybe new in Christianity or... Um, they're just maybe not theologically in tuned and they'll say some things and you're kind of like, that's really not right, you know. And so the, you know, the thought could be, well, maybe we should just reject these people. And he says, no, accept them. And he's going to go on and explain why. But, you know, again, because we're all learning, we're all growing, you know. We're all, in a, we're all in a process. So some of us are going to be weak in faith. And the idea is that eventually we'll become stronger in faith. But he's saying, you know, accept them. Because some need to grow spiritually in order to understand the more complex issues of faith. So it's like, you know, when you first come to Christ, it's, it's you're a sinner, you're going to hell, now you're going to heaven. And we probably don't know a whole lot more than that. Then later on, we're going to talk about it tonight, you know, Christology. What is Christology? What does that mean? 
uh, what, 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 you know, the Old Testament system and, and things like we talk about on Sunday, Passover and all that stuff. You know, the new person has, is, is, doesn't have that package yet. But he says, but still accept them because there's a, they're, they're eventually going to grow and eventually they will be able to handle the more complex issues of faith. So, verse 2. Now, here's where some of the analogies come in. He says, one man has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. (laughs) Vegan. Vegans here, you know. And so it's an analogy, vegetables versus meat, because, you know, in another place, especially to to the Hebrews, he says, you know, you're still, and I'm paraphrasing it, he says you're still on the on the milk of the word, you should be into the more meatier things of, of that. So what he's saying is, you know, vegetables are easier to, for the body to digest, easier to eat, where meat is, you know, more substantial, you got to chew on it, you got to, that kind of thing. But the idea is more substance. So he says, one man has faith that he may eat all things. In other words, he's able to handle the deeper things, right? Uh, Theology-wise. But he who is weak eats vegetables only. And so uh, the idea is more substance. But verse 1 and 2 also speak to Jewish converts who hold traditions. So we're going to be saying more about that in a second because we're going to be talking about foods and what foods you can eat or not eat, or, you know, this, this, this a lot of this analogy stuff is in here, so I just want to kind of walk through it. So realize there's a couple things going on here. One is he's talking about a seasoned convert, which is able to handle deeper things in God. Then he refers to a weak in faith, that's someone that is learning, someone that is growing. But then he's also going to be talking about those that hold on to traditions. For example, the Jewish believers in Christianity were still holding on to some legalistic things in the law. And he's going to be talking about that. So he's introducing it, So, but it's going to get a little more complex as we go in to it. So any thoughts or questions yet? Okay. So verse 3. Let him... Let not him who eats regard with contempt him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has accepted him. Now, you can get lost in this real quick. Because now when he's talking about who eats and doesn't eat, again, what's the context? One that is weak in faith. And one that is more mature in faith. And now he's talking about in what they eat. You know, uh, some of us are ready to really dive in. You know, last week, for example, uh, Lucy and Drury and, and Juicy said, could we have a Bible study on on uh, on uh, Ezekiel? That's deep water. That's deep water. We're going, when we do Ezekiel, that's deep water. You know, and, and I didn't hesitate to say, yeah, because I know we can do it. I know this group, we, we can do it. But if there are a lot of new believers in here, I might say, well, maybe that's two separate classes because there's a lot of foundational stuff they need to know before they try and take apart, you know, Ezekiel. 
So, but he puts it in terms of, you know, of what you eat. You know, it's like, uh, not to point out anything here, but, you know, sometimes children don't always like to eat everything. And then when we get older, you know, and, you know, and the parents always say things like, you don't know what you're missing, right? And then later on when you find out, you say, who kept this for me all this time? This is good, you know? And, and, and now we're, you know, we, we, we eat more things, we try more things. It's just we've matured. And that's the analogy here. You're maturing. So it's talking about spiritual growth. And so what he's saying is that there's no condemnation for those that are weak in faith, or for those who presently hold uh, to Jewish traditions. For example, uh, I was raised in Catholicism. So, when I transferred from Catholicism to Christianity, there was a lot of stuff, a lot of in my package was handed to me from Catholicism. And I didn't know if it was right or wrong, but it was all that I knew. So I kind of took that with me into Christianity, per se, and along the way I learned what I needed to keep and what I needed to jettison. Because some of it was just man-made traditions, it was, we just do it just because, you know, other things were, you know, it's scriptural. Again, if it's, if it's scriptural, you hold on to it. If it's not scriptural, then you need to let it go. You don't you don't hang on, on to it. And so that's one of the things in Christianity today that, especially as you have people from different segments of Christianity come together, and now what happens is they maybe came out of Catholicism, maybe they have been a non non denominational Christian church. Maybe they've been in a, a mainline sort of uh, uh, old traditional Christian church, like say Presbyterian or Methodist or something, or Southern Baptist, or maybe they're coming out of out of Pentecostalism, and now you put that together, and the things that they do are all different, you know. And so we have to now find ways to to figure out what do we keep and what do we get rid of. You know, what's going to edify us, what's good for us, and what are those things that, that we need to get rid of. But what he's saying is, if they're not ready to get rid of them, yet don't put any condemnation on them. It takes a while, you know. And so, um, any thoughts or questions on that? Any experience that? You know, as you, as you uh, all of a sudden, you know, realize, gosh, I was holding on to something that, you know, and because I thought that's the way it was, and then I started reading the Bible, and I find out that's not in the Bible, you know. Uh, and, and so, you know, we have to work our way through that. So, but again, he's just saying, if somebody's like that, and they're new, and they have some quirky ideas, you know, just keep teaching them, just keep loving on them. Eventually, they're going to grow in faith. Eventually, they will find out uh, for themselves. Eventually, it'll it'll come up. You know, or they can ask questions. That's all I'm always saying, ask questions. Because questions come out of those kind of things, right? And so, because a lot of times that's that's all we know. So, you know, that's what they taught us. And so we assume that the person that's teaching us is teaching us correctly. Sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. Or sometimes it's something that we just hold on to for whatever reason. So...
We good? Okay, verse 4 and 5. He says, Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands and falls. And stand he will, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Let each man be fully convinced in his own mind. He's talking about judgment here. You know, God will judge our motives, but, you know, we we shouldn't be so quick to judge somebody else's motives because there has to be an element of grace there for them, yet they haven't been in Christianity long enough to know, right? Or to understand. Or when you see that, then that's an opportunity to teach. It's an opportunity to share. Because in Christianity, you know, we are to share with one another. That's part of coming together. And that's why, you know, I said that, that when, with the COVID and stuff, when it separates us, then we don't do that. You know, it's like a washing machine. The clothes don't get clean just because there's detergent in there. It gets clean because it bumps up against the other clothes. And so that's how we do it. You know, we're bumping up against one another and we're actually strengthening, cleansing one another, helping us, you know, along. Uh, and so, you know, what he's saying there is basically every day is holy, not just the, the Sabbath. So he says just because some person says, well, Sunday is the holy day, and you say, well, you know, every day is holy. Well, yeah, you're right. But don't condemn them for saying that because they don't understand that yet. Because they've been taught Sunday is the holy day. Then you live like the devil for six weeks, and then you, you know, kind of thing like that. So, every day is holy, not just the Sabbath or the holidays. Or it's kind of like in, in, in Judaism, we talk about the seven feasts of Israel. Okay, yeah, those are called high holy days, but those aren't the only days that are holy. All days are holy unto the Lord. Not just the Sabbath, not just the feast days. And so, what he's saying here is this keeps us Christ-centered. And I've been thinking about this for a while. I'm going to kind of break this down. Christology, study of Christ, Christ-centric. These are kind of words that you hear when you get a little deeper into theology because what this means is everything now flows through Christ. And that's what completes the Old Testament. Everything is through Christ. See, in the Old Testament, God revealed himself as creator. He revealed himself as redeemer. Then you had the priesthood, you had other things, and uh, promise maker, promise keeper, gives land, and all these other things. But you're talking about God the Father. But God the Father from the beginning of time, was pointing towards the cross. So when Jesus says it's done, then it's finished. Now the New Testament era starts. It doesn't mean we do away with all this. It just means all this that is the Old Testament now flows through Christ. So now our Christology is that as Christians, we are Christ-centric. In other words, we're Christ-centered. It's all through Christ. right? Salvation is through whom? Jesus Christ, right? Now think about it for a second. What other things 
could we say are Christ-centric? Show his love to other people. His love? See, if God is love, well, who is Christ? Christ is God, therefore Christ is love. So love is also Christ-centered. What else? Lot of the resurrection. Huh? Resurrection. What was it? Resurrection. Resurrection. Yes, he's the first of the, of the, of the resurrection. Without Christ, there's there, there's no resurrection of the dead. There's no hope. We have no hope without Christ's resurrection, because we could not say there's going to be a resurrection. We could not say one day I will be resurrected if somebody else wasn't already resurrected. Okay, uh, creation. Is now through Christ. What does John, the first chapter of John say? Nothing that was created was not created, that wasn't created, that he was not there. Then he was the Word, and the Word became flesh, and then tabernacled, in other words, dwelt with us. You know, Christ is, is, uh, 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 is was there at creation. He's also uh, salvation, uh, Holy Spirit, right? Comes through Christ. So when you think about it, you know, in Take time this week or or sometime when you're just kind of thinking about it. Just think of things that are Christ-centric. In other words, what flows through Christ uh, to us? What are we recipients of through Christ? You know, one is no one gets to the Father but through Jesus. Right? In the Old Testament, it was a, it was a different way. But it wasn't the end of the way. It was God was just showing things along the way. Again, when Jesus said it was finished, now the picture is complete of how God is operating. Everything now is Christ-centric. Christ-centric. Okay? That's why I say if you take if you take Christ out of Christianity, there is no Christianity. Because of the resurrection. In, in all the other things, you know, because it's God is in there. Uh, intercession to the fathers through Christ. Right? So that's what it means to be, well, that's what Christology is. Uh, sometimes they'll say Christocentric if they're, if they're trying to do a Latin version of it, but Christ-centric or Christ-centered. So this is where, this is where the church has to be. Right here. And so the battle was moving them from an old T theology to a Christ centered theology. Because this was this was pointing towards this, but the people weren't necessarily ready for it or quite understood it. Because a lot of times we interpret things and how it relates to us as opposed to what is God showing us. We have to do it. What, what it's, not, it's, it's not what I see, it's what God reveals. Right? And so what is God revealing? God is revealing in the Old Testament Christ. It's finished. So Old Testament theology is not the end, it's just the beginning but it leads us to a Christology, a Christ-centric, and this is where the church is. And see, if the church is not Christ-centered, then now, now you become off the pages of the Bible. 
right? Mm -hmm. So, who is Jesus? What is Jesus doing? And where am I in relationship to what Christ is doing? Make sense? Okay. See? You're eating meat. That's meat. I couldn't introduce this if 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 we hadn't done all the other stuff. If you guys haven't had what you've gone through before and other churches and whatever, no, I wouldn't even attempt it because it's it's it's. Well, wait a minute. I thought it was God. Where's the Holy Spirit? And you know, you have a better working understanding of a triune God. That's why sometimes people get saved and you try and explain a triune God to them, it's very difficult. But once they've had scripture, and once they begin to see, then they begin to see how it works and then eventually they go, oh, now I get it. So, verse 6 to 8. It says, He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not for the Lord, he does not, and he gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. In all things, observe the Lord. You know, it says whether you have or you don't have, you know, Praise God. Whether you're going through or you went through, uh, praise God. You know, whether you have or you don't have, praise God uh, in all things. Because again, our understanding of God, God's plan, and we're part of that. And so uh, God is in all. He's created all. He supplies all. And you can kind of continue, you know, that, that line of, of thought. That, that That's why it says, you know, whether you eat or you don't eat, you still give thanks to God because God is still the maker. He's still the creator. He's the one who still played, uh, prepared a place for us when we die. Whether we live or we die, we, we praise God because it's all around God. It's not about vain idols. It's, it's not about us. See, in all of this, he's taking the focus off ourselves and he's putting the focus on God. He's putting the focus on, on Christ. Because a lot of times the natural response is, well, it's about me. What do I get out of this? What, 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 what about me? What, 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 you know. And it's not about me. It's about Christ. Right? Thoughts, questions on that? Okay. Verse 9. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. That's a theological statement. Christ covers all things, living and dead. See, that's the resurrection. I think it was Juicy mentioned it about resurrection. All things through Christ. Yeah, that's because he lives again. We will never taste that last death because of Christ, because of the resurrection. But no matter where we're at, all things are through Christ. All things are covered by Christ. Uh, so again it says, for to this end Christ died, right? You know he died for us. But then it also says, and lived again, that he might be Lord, in other words, over all, both of the dead 
and of the living. Okay? So in other words, nothing escapes Christ. Nothing. Nothing is outside his scope. Nothing. That's why he's the one who judges the living and the dead. Right? So, he's Lord of both the dead and the living. Does it mean all dead or dead that are dead in Christ? Dead in Christ, because he's saying, as because the analogy there is, he died and then he lived again. And so he's, he's Lord over both that, because our resurrection is through him, because he was born again. I mean, I mean, because he was resurrected. So therefore, we are resurrected with him. That's why even though we die, we raise again with him. So he's Lord over, over both. But if you take it in terms of creation, yeah, he's Lord of all things. He created all things, and his desire is that we all come to him. But again, there's that free will issue. I said the day before you both blessings and cursing. Choose blessings. Right? Free will. Okay, but that's a theological statement there. Verse 10. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall give praise. So then, each one of us shall give account of himself to God. So in other words, we all stand before God. So in other words, obviously there was an issue here of some people thinking they were a little better than others and questioning others' level of faith. And he says, don't question their level of faith. You know, be glad that they are of faith. And, 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 and don't condemn them just because they don't believe the way you believe, because there was a time you didn't believe the way you believe now. And so, uh, but again, verse 10, but you, why do you judge your brother? Are you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? Now notice, that's brother. This is in the church. In the church. So in other words, he's saying, there's no, there's no spiritual hierarchy here because someone has been in the church for 59 years and 6 months and the other one just got saved last week. Right? In the eyes of God, and the angels rejoice just as much over the one who's been in church 59 years as the one that just got saved last week. Right? So, in, you know, again, it's the idea that levels the, the, the ministry field so that we allow for the new convert to come in and feel accepted and for the new convert to have room to grow and for the new convert to flourish. Because if we say, oh, you know, no, you can't know... You're not where I'm at. You're not. No, you got to no. What, what did we just do? We judged them. We judged them what? Not worthy of the status that we have achieved. And in, in reality, we haven't achieved any, any, any status that has not been given to us by Christ, and He gave it to both of us the same way. 
So it's the idea of, of don't show contempt for those that are learning or those that are stumbling or those that might say foolish things. You know, before you, you try and kick them out of the church, help them learn, help them understand. Because we're all... I can't tell you how how many... How do you say it? Changes I've gone through in this journey with God um, just because of, of what you learn and what you know and where you're at and what you go through, how you apply it and how you see it and all these things. And so it's this, this spiritual journey that we're along. And so there's a lot of things that I used to think were, oh, no, this is true. This is what it is. And I will argue with you until the cows come home, whatever that means. I'll argue with you because I believe this, and now I'm like, can't believe I did that. But God allowed for me to grow along the way. Right? So all of us. So we have to allow each other to grow along the way. And that's part of mentorship. That's part of, again, uh, the the fellowship of the body. You know, we should all be mentoring and helping. And, and uh, uh, a lot of my uh, spiritual growth happened in the in the church parking lot. After service or after a, a midweek service or a men's meeting, I would be out there with a couple of buddies in the parking lot. And this is before cell phones. <laughs> you know, and the wives are going a little crazy. Where are they? And then we go home and say, well, we were in the parking lot talking. Yeah, right, you were in the parking lot talking. Where were you? And then they start talking, and the story's all the same. Yeah, we were. But what we were doing was we were talking about God. We were learning about God. We were applying the scriptures. We were growing, right? And so, you know, those, those, those parking lot encounters, for me, were, were, were really uh, foundational. And uh, uh, out of that, uh, two of us are pastors. Two of us, maybe another one, I'm trying to think. Yeah, but for sure, there's two of us are pastors out of all that. So, uh, let's see. So we all stand before God, take the focus off each other, and focus on God. What is God doing in our lives? Verse 13. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore. In other words, they were doing it, right? Let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way or a sister's way. Don't judge because, you know, all of us are overcoming something. All of us are going through something. All of us are in that baptismal stage of leaving something in the water and coming forth new. Right? You know, in some of it, how do you say? Some things, you know, we maybe thought we got over and then years later, all of a sudden we start thinking about it or something happens and we realize, wow, this really shaped me, it really hurt me or really whatever. And now you're ready to deal with it, and now you're now you're overcoming it. At this point, you know you you couldn't do it then, but you're doing it now. 
But the point is, praise God, you're doing it. Because this is how we grow. This is how we move forward. And so uh, uh, he says, don't, don't judge where somebody's at and what they're, what they're doing. Because we're all overcoming something. It's like the reason people get saved is everybody gets saved for a different reason. You come to God for a different reason, but the outcome is all the same. We all needed salvation. We all come to the recognition that we needed it. So why would I judge a brother or why would we judge a brother or a sister because they're struggling with something or they just came through something or they're not at our spiritual level? Well, we were once there too, right? And so, again, judgment in the Bible is not about making judgment calls. We have to make judgment calls every day. Judgment in the Bible is about who's going to heaven and who's not. Only one person makes that call, Jesus Christ. That's Christology. That's Christ-centered. Right? He's the only one who makes that call. So he warns us, don't, don't be judging, because you don't know. You don't know the process. Verse 14. He says, I know and convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Now, part of this has to do with food. Part of it has to do with there was a major transition in the, in the New Testament, especially in relationship to Old Testament theology about foods that were clean and foods that were unclean. And today we call it kosher. Kosher just means proper for consumption. That's what it means. Kosher doesn't necessarily mean you can't eat this and you can't eat that. What kosher says is it's now proper for consumption. So when you read some of the dietary laws in the Old Testament, it tells you, don't eat this with that, don't leave uh, the meat in its blood, or don't do this. And if you look at it, a doctor will tell you, yeah, because that's how things go bad. That's how things are, you know, whatever. It says don't, don't eat the, uh, the, self, the shellfish along the shoreline, because in those days, that's where they dumped all their waste. And so what would the shellfish be eating? And then what would you eat if you eat the shellfish? That's why when the plague hit in Europe in the 1400s and in the 1500s, uh, they blamed the Jews. Because the Jews were not getting the plague the way everybody else was because their dietary laws were protecting them. Kosher. You don't leave things up. You don't do certain things. You know, and so... Uh, 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 but as far as now being able to eat anything, he says, you know, now let's let's don't get legalistic and say oh, you can't eat this and you can't eat that because that's what this would do. Deep Old Testament theology would say, oh, you can't this, you can't that. But what Paul is saying is now all things all things are edible for consumption. We can eat them, you know. But think back that that was. He was basically saying it to people that were modern compared to the people 2,000, 2,500 years before that really had no idea about disease and, 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 and that kind of stuff. So, 
dietary laws. Um, so don't be, he's saying, you know, don't be legalistic about it. Uh, verse, all food is acceptable. Jewish laws of preparation, yeah, it's, it's kosher. And so, uh, and again, the analogy is that we are all going through a process. We are all being made sanctified before God. So therefore, don't be judging because all of us are in the process of being sanctified before God. So then tagging into verse 15, says, For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Now that's an interesting. Look at this. For if because of food your brother or sister is hurt because of food. You can't eat that. You shouldn't be eating that. That's not right to eat that. We don't eat that. Why are you, why are you eating that? Oh, that's the way they did it way back then. Well, that's what they grew up in. That's what they knew. They haven't changed yet. They haven't moved to that place. But it's not a salvation issue. It's not a salvation issue. So why are we judging that? For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. And somebody said, I think it was Larry, you were talking about one of the things that are Christ-centric, love. So if we're now judging what a person is eating because they're holding to Old Testament theology or some other tradition, because every, every, every group of people has their own traditions about how they eat certain things, right? And so um, he says, don't, don't, because that's their custom. Don't get bent out of shape. This is the gospel according to Steve. Don't get bent out of shape over what they're eating because that's their custom, Okay. It's not something that's, you know, a life or death issue here. For because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. In other words, you have to do it my way. So again, what's the food? It's not only the natural food, it's the spiritual food. Because you're saying, you know, you're not as deep as I am. You know, I can't believe... You think that. I can't believe that, that, that you don't know who Christ is. I can't believe that you don't understand the person of the Holy Spirit. I don't understand that you don't understand the doctrine of this or the doctrine of that. Think about that in terms of a new convert and how they feel. You just squashed them. Right? How are they going to grow? You just, you just blew the lamp out. Right? And he says because of your food. In other words, because you've eaten, you've partaken, you know... Don't judge them for where they're at. Give them the opportunity to grow. Give them the opportunity to grow. Uh, 16 to 18. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. Notice, for you what is a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Live a life of righteousness and goodness. You know, not about your, it's not about your traditions. It's not about how you grew up. 
it's not about, I think I started to say it uh, Sunday when I was talking about the Passover. The Passover is like Thanksgiving dinner. There's different ways. Every every culture has a little bit different way of celebrating Thanksgiving and the foods that they make, right? So don't get bent out of shape because somebody's stuffing is different than your grandma's. That doesn't mean your grandma's was better or theirs is better. It's just you have a different tradition. You're just a different thing. Don't don't get bent out of shape out of that. What's more important is to live a, a, a life of godliness, a life of goodness, and to, and to love one another. In verse 19 and 20, So then, let us pursue... As you break, let us pursue in, in Greek down, I forget the actual word, but it means let us aim for, aim for. So in other words, let us aim for this. This is the target. Uh, so let us pursue, aim for this target, the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Ah, so what are we supposed to aim for? Peace and building one another up, not tearing one another down. It says, 20, do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things, and again, food is spiritual and natural. Because remember, he's using the analogy both ways here. Of, of that which you consume spiritually and that which you eat naturally. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. In other words, it's evil if you your motives are wrong and if you're tearing somebody down for you know who they are um, I think I said this to you before one of my mentors early early on way going way back when my hair was all dark um, it wasn't so much what he told me it was so much is the nod that he gave me when we would talk about scripture and I would say, am I reading this right? Is this saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he go, yeah. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't give me no, a whole lot of, well, you know, it's this way and in the Greek it's that and the Hebrew is, mm -hmm. he just go, yeah, you're on the right track. You just kind of, keep going, keep going. You know, and it was enough encouragement he kept me going. You know, he probably could have easily said, you know, Something that would, uh, has anybody ever said anything to you, or maybe you've said something to somebody, where all of a sudden it just stops them, and and they get so hurt by it, they don't continue to pursue it. You know, sometimes it's, you know, it's, it's like what James says about the mouth, you know, what comes out of the mouth. It's like, you know, we can do such harm by what we say to one another. Uh, and so what he's saying is, understand that and so don't even go there do everything to build one another up even if you have to if there's a measure of correction there do it in the form that the end result is you're building them up right you want to build uh them up this is what we aim for so verse 19 so then let us pursue or let us aim for the things which makes for peace and the building up of one another. It says, do not tear down the work of God. All of us are a work of God. All of us. We're all a, a work of God. God's working on us, right? So don't tear that work down. 
for the sake of food. Uh, all things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. In other words, if you do with evil motives, then it becomes evil, which he backs up here in verse 21 to 23. He says, It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. The faith which you have now notice, again, he's talking about faith. Because what did the chapter start with? The one who's weak in faith. But he brings in this food analogy. Because he's dealing with Jewish traditions and eatings and customs, but he's also doing it uh, spiritual food. Okay? Uh, verse 21 again. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles the faith which you have have as your own conviction before God ah the faith that you have before God it's your conviction in other words it's where you're at don't expect somebody else to be where you are at right because if you look around there's going to be somebody above you there's somebody above me you know and that person could say oh well you know uh, yada but you know it says don't do that Verse 22, the faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. Now watch this. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. Huh? What he's saying is, don't feel bad about what feels right to you, where you're at. Sometimes, you know, we think, well, you know, I'm not where that person's at, or I'm not doing what they're doing, or I'm not partaking what they're partaking. He says, be comfortable where you are at, right? Because number one, you're, you're saved, and you're growing. But if you believe it's not right, and you do it, you've sinned. That's what he's saying. See, if you believe it's not right and you do it, you've just sinned. If you believe it's not right, you've just sinned. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith and whatever is not from faith is sin. So in other words... If it's not doing things based on God and what you believe about God, what you've been taught about God, what you know about God, it's therefore sin because you're doing it off the pages of the Bible. You're no longer Christ-centric. And this, again, this is why we have to understand Christology so that we stay on the plumb line of God. Because if we don't, then we could be doing something out here that we think, oh, this is great. But we're off the pages of the Bible. We're not Christ-centric anymore. And uh, uh, um, and then you know that, and then you do it. You've just sinned. Right? Thoughts, questions, concerns? Yeah. So growing up, um, this chapter was um, like hammered um, in my sister's and our heads, you know, this chapter. Oh, really? And... It was taught 
house as it's not only the food, but what we wear, what the shoes, where we go. So practically everything was a sin. So that we were boxed in and we were terrified to do it, you know, practically to say anything because every little thing that we said was going to be a sin or if we ate pork. And so we created, we developed um, sort of like an objection to pork, which every Cuban is for, you know, Christmas Eve, is the the food. And so we never ate it in Cuba only once. Mm -hmm. And then when we came here and we became adults, we said, let's let's eat some. And so we ate some. Of course, it's really good. But even even up to now, every time, if I try to eat it, my stomach gets all... Yeah, it boxed you in. Yeah. They're using scripture to control you. Yes, and yet the aspect that you explained was not explained to us. Mm-hmm. No. And see, that's why the problem a lot of times in Christianity, or really not in Christianity, things that are masquerading as Christianity, are those people that know about four verses and they can try and control your life with those four verses. Mm-hmm. Because they're putting themselves here and you're down there. And this chapter is saying completely the opposite. Don't put yourself up here and don't condemn anybody because they're down here because in God's eyes, we're here. Even though you might have, you might know more, this person has the same salvation you do. So you're brothers and sisters in the Lord and our responsibility is to edify them, to feed them, to help them grow, not stymie their growth, not to... Uh, put them down, not to put them in a, in a position to where they don't grow spiritually. Putting putting a, a, a box around someone and keeping them locked in hampers spiritual growth. Right, and so uh, then later on, when you when when you bust out of that, then you deal with all that time I didn't know, and then you feel bad. Because of, you know, what happened. Well, God judges that and who did whatever the point is. And the blessing is you're not in that. You're growing. You're eating the, the meat of the word. You're, you're moving forward. But that, unfortunately, is all too common in, in, a, in, a, in, uh, in, in a lot of organizations and a lot of, you know, uh, groups that call themselves Christian or uh, even some mainline groups. I mean, uh, unfortunately, Scripture gets used to try and control people. And that, that's where, where, where problems happen. And, you know, you, you just can't do that. And so what he's saying here is don't do those things. Build them up. Don't judge. Don't criticize. Don't condemn. There's going to be those that are going to be weak in faith. Let them do it, and it doesn't have anything to do with how they try to apply it to you. But they do that because it's just kind of like, I remember uh, when I was in Catholic Church and grew up in L.A., which is literally South Central L.A. today. It would be right in the heart of South Central, and then moved to Huntington Park when I was... uh, in about 19, 
was about nine years old. Okay. I used to go to church in Levi's and a t-shirt. That was my uniform as, as, a, as a kid. Well, when we moved to Huntington Park, we went to church. It was more upscale. It was more whatever. The next week in the church bulletin, Levi's and t-shirt is not proper attire. Filter that through what we just read. And my mom, I remember sitting there and my mom goes, look at this. And I'm sitting there in my Levi's and my t-shirt. She didn't tell me, you got to go get a shirt on. She just said, look at this. She, she pointed out hypocrisy. She just said, look at this. She never told me to change. She says, look at this. In other words, look at what we're dealing with. We came here to get away from some stuff, but that doesn't mean it's all going to be clear sailing. You're still going to be dealing with some stuff, you know. So, but all groups have that. I don't, I don't care who it is, what it is. And it's, it's, unfortunately, there are those that tend to look down their nose at others. And gosh, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, or they say, you know, well, I'm Baptist and you're Methodist, so we can't fellowship. That's crazy. That's crazy. How did we come to salvation? The same way, you know, so we have to allow for that. So careful, because I go on a rant here. Levi's uh, <laughs> and a t-shirt are a stumbling block. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a stumbling. See, that that could have been a huge, a huge stumbling block. Thanks for saying that. Because that little thing could have been a huge stumbling block. Sure. Huge. We could have said, well, f- forget this. And she grabbed her cute little nine-year-old and took him, out of, <laughs> took, him, took him out of church. We're not going back to that church. Uh, look at these people. We're not going to church ever again. You know, when you witness to people, you get that. You go door knocking, you talk to people and say, well, I don't go to church. And they say, why? And they'll tell you, well, they're a bunch of hypocrites and this is what happened. Or something happened. Somebody offended them. Somebody did something. And rather than just looking at it, it was that individual. Something was wrong. They now said, this is the way Christianity is. Stumbling block. Huge. Thanks for saying that. So, thoughts, questions? I have to say one more thing. I think we've been here now five years. Approximately, yeah. And um, in the past five years, at least I personally think I speak for Larry too, we have learned more about the Word of God than mm-hmm. all our entire lives. Mm-hmm. Praise God. And it's been great. In the last five years, I learned more than what I knew five years ago, too. <laughs> because Just because I'm teaching, it doesn't mean I'm not learning. Because every time, you know, you go into these, you know, I don't I don't keep my my notes, per se. I'll keep the outline, but I like to make fresh notes every time I teach something. Because I take what I already know, and then I leave room for what I don't know to add to it. You know? So, yeah, we're, we're all growing. We're all... And, and hopefully that is the outcome, that we learn, that we grow. But we become more Christ-centered. We go closer to God, you know. And uh, so, anything else? You know, within the context of the group that Paul was writing to, I think you mentioned that it was not a Jewish crowd he was writing to and all that. Not at all. Uh, Some Jews were creeping up there, but for the most part, no, they were all Gentiles. 
Romans. So that that. No, I'm confused. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> but again, it it's when you when you when you understand his audience, then you better understand why he's saying what he's saying, because you know in some of his other letters he doesn't go this deep into stuff because he was already there with them. He raised them up. He planted the church. He spent 18 months with them. Barnabas was there, you know, or Timothy was there. And so he didn't have to go through all that elementary stuff with these guys. He's got to go, you know, this is the Bible kind of thing. I think I just regained my train of thought. Were there enough Jews there in Rome that uh, would influence these non, the, the Gentile Christians because of the meat, and you can't eat meat sacrificed to these pagan gods. And yeah, because the Jews were being dispersed out. Christianity was being dispersed out, and they were making their way up there. So yeah, there was a scattering of them there. And so a lot of them, you know, it was the idea of, okay, well, listen to me, because I was a Jew, and now I'm a Christian. I know more than you, because mm-hmm. you were never a Jew. So he's got to address that. And so the author of Hebrews goes after the Hebrews, because again, Hebrews means aliens. So he's talking about those that are not on land anymore, those that have been dispersed up into Europe. And he's saying to them, you know, you're getting an attitude here towards the Gentiles, but we all come to God by faith. You know, and that's what he tells them. He says, you know, and he, he says to them, he says, you should be on the solid food by now, but you're still on the, on the milk of the word. And so he, he just chops him right at the knees and says, you guys think you're all that, but you're not that. You know, and uh, I think it was Barnabas most likely that wrote, wrote Hebrews, but we don't know for sure. But, it, but, but it's a counter to Romans, mostly Jewish believers and uh, converts, whereas Romans, it was just a few uh, but in, within a hundred years, there would be a lot more. And throughout Southern Europe, uh, through Asia, Asia Minor, and Southern Europe, uh, up, up until about 300, eventually there became a lot of uh, Jewish believers there. But after, after Constantine, when he said the Jews were Christ killers, that began to minimize the Jewish influence. So for the first two, three hundred years, the Jewish influence was strong, because again, they they had it. And uh, a, a Jewish guy once told me, uh, who was who was raised in Judaism, and then became a Christian. And he says, I wouldn't say this because you you can. If I said it, I get in trouble. But he could say it. He would say, Do you know why Jews are such good salesmen? <laughs> if I said that, you know, and so and I just went, no. And he says, because we're supposed to be selling you God. Mm. In other words, we're supposed to be the ones who are showing you and teaching you because they had it first. That's all that means. It doesn't mean better. It means we should be. So that early influence of the church had that Jewish influence, and then after about the year 300, that began to wane. That's why today we don't celebrate the seven feasts. Back then they did because Paul's talking about celebrating it. We read it Sunday. He says, when you celebrate it, when you celebrate the feast, who's he talking to? He's talking to Christians. When you celebrate the feast, don't celebrate it with the, with the, with the, with the, with the, with the dough of, of malice. 
you know, do it as a, as a new lump, a fresh lump. So, yeah. Good. Anything else? Sophia, you good? Okay. And Sophia's good. Let's pray. Lord God, we just give you praise and honor and glory. Lord, we just thank you that uh, your word is active. It's alive. It's sharp. It's It moves forward. It reaches back, Lord, for the purpose of guiding us forward. Lord, and we, we thank you for that. Lord, help us to be Christ-centric. Help us to be... Uh, uh, our mind and our thoughts on Christ, Lord, and why did he do what he did? Uh, how did he do it? Why did he do it, Lord? And, and how does that shape us? What does it mean to us, Lord? And as we take the next two weeks, Lord, and finish up the uh, epistle to the Romans, Lord, what does all of this mean to us uh, corporately as a body of Christ and individually as believers in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? So, Father, we thank you for this time, and as we leave this sanctuary, but not your presence, continue to lead us, guide us, and strengthen us, and lead us into your word. In this, we give you thanks and praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And Sunday will be Easter Sunday, so see you on that.